Or they were pieces of folk art sold at hipster craft shows. Quilts were objects of survival and necessity. Especially the early settlers here in this country, they they didn't have a lot of resources, they didn't have a lot of wealth, they didn't have a lot of access to material things. And so they learned how to be resourceful, how to make sure they wasted nothing. They learned how to give new life to worn out things. And so an old shirt or a tattered blanket or a dress worn through or the, the scraps and remnants from the last sewing project, all of those things would be put to you, stitched together to make peasants' patchwork blankets. They weren't much to look at, but they were functional because they could keep you warm and they could block out drafts and they could keep you alive. And over time, quilts, they became a thing. Which right away, I, I hope begins to spark in you hope and possibility as you look into your own life and as you see the remnants and the scraps and the odd pieces, the the parts that are worn through, that are tired, that are sad, I hope that as you look at those pieces of your life tonight, you can begin to be filled with possibility and hope that there's more there than maybe you know. See, that's a part of the Christmas story. This story that we know so well, almost too well sometimes, because I think sometimes we miss just how glorious it is, but, but we love this story, don't we? It's filled with, with magic and wonder and mystery and awe. It's one of the few times a year that people actually come to church and they just want to hear the Bible read. They just want to hear the story, right? It's like, don't talk to me. I don't, you don't need to talk to me about life. Just, just, just tell me the story because it's such a powerful story and we know it so well but the problem with that the problem with knowing it so well is that sometimes because we know it so well we see it as a whole we forget that it's a story made of rags and remnants and scraps and oddities throughout Hebrew history throughout the Bible throughout time characters institutions that are are the oddest bits and pieces brought together into this great story tonight I want to I want to begin to unravel for you this story that you know so well, to show you the pieces that God brought together to make up this story that we know and love so well. Start with Jesus' parents. You might know they weren't educated people, they weren't wealthy people, they were peasants at best, they might have even been migrants, judging by the way they moved around, certainly not the kind of people you'd expect to be involved in such an important story with such an important job. Or Jesus' mom, you might know, she's young, scandalously young, 13, 14, 15 years old and unmarried. Or you think about the place that Jesus was, was born. We just sing songs about it, and when we talk about it at Christmas, it sounds like such a wonderful, sweet, quaint place. But Bethlehem was a has-been town. Out in the middle of nowhere, the sticks. Nothing amazing ever happened in Bethlehem. But only five miles away from Bethlehem was Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the big city, the capital city, where great things are supposed to happen. In Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem. Or you think about the first visitors who came to see Jesus, shepherds, the low men in the Hebrew caste system, or you think about Jesus' own ethnicity, that he was a Hebrew man, he was a Jewish man, he was a part of the nation of Israel, who at the time, Israel at the time of Jesus' birth, they were a defeated nation, humiliated 
and occupied, impoverished, and helpless. See, we know this story so well that I think sometimes we forget all the pieces that it's made of, that that these aren't amazing pieces, that they're odd bits and pieces and embarrassing scraps that are brought together in God's hands to form such an incredible, breathtaking story. Go a step further. We could talk about Bethlehem again. Bethlehem. Uh, I said it was a a washed-up, has-been kind of town, and that's true. It was. But if you look closer at Bethlehem, what you'll discover is that God had moved inside of her powerfully many times over in the past. It was on the way to Bethlehem that the great patriarch Jacob lost lost his beloved wife, Rachel, and she was buried there along the road to Bethlehem. Uh, Later on, there was a young widow by the name of Ruth. There's a whole book of the Bible that tells her story. And uh, she had to leave her land to escape famine and starvation, and she sought refuge in Bethlehem. It became a place of refuge for her, and she met a man there who was a good, noble man who took her in, and they became married, and they started a family there in Bethlehem. And three generations later, from that woman, Ruth, and her husband, there came a a great-grandchild named David, who started his life as a simple shepherd, tending sheep outside of Bethlehem, but then he was tapped on the shoulder by God to become the greatest king in all of Israel's history. See, it all happened in Bethlehem. And so although it was a has-been place, although it was out in the sticks, although it was outside of Jerusalem, not Jerusalem itself, God had worked powerfully in Bethlehem. And so when he inspired the prophet of Micah, the prophet Micah, to, uh, to write the, these words that we know, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me a ruler whose origins are of old from ancient times. God was beginning to take that tired, worn out place and to use it for something new. And then, and then, when God went a step further and he commanded that greedy Caesar to issue a census so that the whole world could be taxed because nothing says Merry Christmas like taxes, right? Um, see, see, and that was all pretense. You understand that God was moving even in the Caesar, using his greed for his favor because, because Mary and Joseph, they didn't live in Bethlehem. But the census demanded that they had to go there so that their son could be born in Bethlehem. And suddenly this really odd piece, this scrap, this worn out part of Hebrew history, it finds a glorious place in this story that we love so well. Or uh, let me talk to you for a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute about Jesus' name. Two different angels appearing to Mary and Joseph separately both commanded that the child would be named Jesus. They both heard it on separate occasions. And, And the name Jesus means Savior or God saves. So it sounds like a a fitting title for the one who would come to save the world. And yet, here's what I can bet. By the time he got to kindergarten, there would have been five other Hebrew boys in his class named Jesus. It was such a common name. Are there any Chris's or Mike's or Matthew's in the room who can testify to what that feels like? A guy like Dion, we we don't know what that feels like, but I know some of you do. Um, It was such a common name. And think about this for a second. All of these Hebrew boys running around named Jesus, named God saves, Savior, and they weren't saving anybody. But then when Jesus is born, the angels appear, and you, you probably know this part of the story, they appear to the shepherds out in the fields. 
And uh, they declare there in the shepherds, they say, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is, he is the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. And that, and that word Messiah or Christ, you know what that means? It means anointed one. And in Hebrew culture, do you know who was anointed? Prophets, priests, and kings. And it was the angel's way of saying, I know this kid has an ordinary name, just like tons of other kids born at his time, but this Jesus, he's gonna be different. He will be the long-awaited, priestly, prophetic king who actually will live up to his name. He will save us from our sins. And suddenly, an ordinary Hebrew boy born to those poor parents with an ordinary name, suddenly, he becomes anything but ordinary. Or I could talk to you a little bit more about Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary. Um, As I said, she was young, scandalously young, and she was unmarried. And yet that seems to be a really important part of the story that Mary was a virgin. It makes its way into our Christmas songs. It makes its way into our creeds. It seems so important, but it's such an odd piece, isn't it? Maybe even a little creepy, if not just weird. And yet... Uh, theologians have wrestled with this piece, wondering, so, so why was this such an important, it seems important, but why was this such an important part of this story that Mary was young, that she was a virgin? And, and the reason they come up with, and you probably have heard this, uh, the reason they come up with is, is that, uh, that Mary had to be, she had to be pure. She had to be undefiled. Otherwise, she somehow would have defiled the baby Jesus in her, that since he was the son of God, he needed to be born from a perfect womb. And so throughout time, theologians have tried to make sense of this odd piece by explaining it that way, that if Mary would have been impure, she would have defiled Jesus and all would have been lost, which sounds like it makes sense. And yet I think it might be blasphemy. Because do any of us here in this room actually believe that we have the power to defile the holy God? You see, later on in Jesus' life throughout his ministry in the Gospels, You see Jesus doing controversial things. He's constantly doing things that would make other Hebrew men ceremonially unclean. He's constantly touching people who are defiled, lepers and dead people. And pardon if you are from Greek heritage, but Gentiles, the Greeks, he he was touching those people and those people would all make an ordinary Hebrew person defiled. Yet for Jesus, never once when he touches one of those people does he become defiled, does he? No. Instead, every time Jesus touches an unclean person, what happens? He doesn't become defiled, they become clean. And man, you just need to hold on to that tonight. No matter who you are, no matter what your story has been like, no matter what's gone on in your life. And I know sometimes you come here on, on, uh, on Christmas and you think, man, if I walk into that place, is the roof going to cave in? Is, the, is lightning going to strike? Is you know, something going to happen? Because a person like me going into a holy place, here's what you need to know. It doesn't matter what your history is, your story is. It doesn't matter what you've done. One touch from Jesus makes you clean. So what is this whole thing about, this whole odd piece, Mary, her virginity? What is it all about? Well, I think it's probably more about lineage. It's about her lineage. See, in Hebrew culture, lineage was so important. Who were, was your family? Who were these, uh, you know, who were your heirs? Especially lineage is important if you're a king. If you're a king, it's very important. Why? Because kings are born from kings, not ordinary men. And so Mary 
It, it, was, it was her, it was, it was the testimony from God that, that this child was not born of any ordinary man. He would be a king like no other because he was born from a king like no other. And I could go on, but, but are you beginning to see when you unravel the story, all of the, the pieces and the patches and the remnants and the scraps of Hebrew history and institutions, some of them embarrassing, some of them flawed, and yet God brings them together in this glorious story, this amazing, breathtaking story that we celebrate each and every year, a story that inspired Paul to write in Galatians. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the rights of sonship. See, at the fullness of time, it wasn't until Jesus came into the world, it wasn't until that Christmas night that all of of the chaos of Bible history and human history finally comes together. It finally finds a place, it finds meaning in the person of Jesus. Which if you could care nothing about Bible history or anything else that I've said tonight, should still matter a whole lot to you, and here's why. Because as you examine your life tonight, and as you look at the places that are worn out, as you look at those uh, parts of your story that are marred and stained with grief and trial, and I know some of you, Christmas is not merry this year, you're grieving as you think about the trauma that you've experienced in life, as you think about um, just those parts of your life that don't make sense, events that have happened to you that you've never been able to reconcile in your mind, they, they just simply don't make sense. Or as you look at you know, your, your gifts and you feel so common and so ordinary and you sit here tonight and you wonder, is there a place for you? Is, is, there, something, is there something more for you? Or are you just kind of relegated to this obscure existence? So as you think about your story tonight, I want to ask you, where are the places where you feel pain? What are the parts of your story that keep bringing up tension in your life? What are the places of your story that you just, you just don't want to look at? Where is there tension? Where is there difficulty? What are the remnants and the rags and the bits and the pieces that just kind of give you an unsettled spirit? See, tonight what I want you to know is is the promise of Christmas is that when you take even the most odd things, rags, remnants, scraps, when you place them into the hands of God the Father, then suddenly nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. See, the longer uh, that I travel on this journey with the Father, the more I realize how true this is that nothing is wasted. When I think about my shameful struggles that mercifully will go unmentioned tonight because you have yours too, I know that if, if I can place even those in the hands of the Father, they're not wasted. And I think about those painful experiences in my life, that the pain that I've experienced in my own life, things you know, from my childhood that, that I wish I could erase because they've scarred me and I still deal with those things, or even worse, the painful experiences that I've given, that I've been a part of inflicting on someone else because those come with the worst kind of regret, don't they? I know that even those, those painful experiences when placed in the hands of the Father, they, they are not 
they're not wasted. My missed opportunities, you know, not going to the college that I dreamed about going to, not taking that job, those opportunities that I squandered, they're not wasted. And even, even when I look at my life and I look at those boring, common, ordinary parts of my life and my story, those parts that I, I just, I just, they're not bad, they're not good, they're just nothing, and I look at those things, even when I place those into the hands of the Father, even they, they are not, they're not wasted. See, that's the promise of Christmas for you this year. Not just that in time God came in the fullness of time and that he did something remarkable with, with all of these bits and pieces and the scraps of, of Hebrew history and he wove them together into a great story. The promise for Christmas is so much, promise of Christmas rather is so much deeper. It's that if you are willing to entrust your rags, your remnants, your scraps, if you're willing to place those into the hands of the Father. If you're willing to entrust him with those things, and I'm not just saying trust him or believe in him, but if you're willing to entrust him with every part of your story, good, bad, beautiful, ugly, if you're willing to put those things into his hands, and if you're willing to wait, if you're willing to wait for the fullness of time in your own life, because people had to wait thousands of years for Jesus, and we're so bad at waiting, but if you're willing to entrust these pieces into the hands of the Father, knowing what he's capable of, and if if you're willing to wait, then here's the promise. Here's the promise for you that God can put these things together. He can weave your story together. He, he He can bring your life together in a way that is just not tolerable, but in a way that is truly, truly breathtaking. See, that's the promise of the story of Christmas. And that's God's promise to you tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you took people like Mary and Joseph and uh, lowly people like shepherds. Father in heaven, I'm, I'm thankful that you took a place like Bethlehem and you took a people like the people of Israel. And you you brought all of these different pieces of time and history together and you brought them together to do something so powerful beyond anyone's expectation. You brought blessing and salvation to an entire world. Father, I praise you and thank you for your ability to take rags and remnants, bits and pieces, scraps of our stories and to do something unthinkably beautiful with them. Father, I pray tonight that you would give us all confidence in you, trust in you, to entrust every part of our story into your hands, every part of our life, every part of our struggle, our disappointments, our heartaches, our grief, along with all of the good things, to place those things into your hands, Father, and then to wait on you to also create something breathtaking out of us for our good and for the ongoing good of this world that you love. We pray it in Jesus. Amen. Please rise. And together, I invite you to pray the words of this prayer with me. We pray together. Lord, you didn't come to a perfect world. You came to a people with frayed hope and in need of direction. 
your very birth wrapped in conflict, doubt, and fear. You came humbly, O Lord, born of a virgin to a simple family, to walk a journey of glory and tears. Now, dear Jesus, come again. Come into my fragile and tattered heart. Make me humble so that I may love and serve like you. Prepare a quiet place within me where peace and joy are born. Give me the gift of yourself so that I may be a gift to the world around me, the world you love, the world you came down to save. Lord Jesus, I invite you in. I bid you come again for your glory. Amen.